spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Before you hop a train to Paris, you might want to check for a red notice. It's episode 358 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. So excited for this week's show because it is jam-packed with some major guests. And our featured guests this week, none other than Ruby Rose and Tom Hopper, a couple of the stars of SAS Red Notice from Vertical Entertainment. Oh, Sam Hugan's in this as well. It is such a good thrill ride. I can't wait for them to tell you all about their characters and what's going on in this film. Also going to be joined this week by Adila Dasani, who just saw her as Amanda Bobsey in the Nancy Drew series on the CW. That story's just heating up, so we'll ask her about that. And also C.J. Perry. You might know her as Lana from WWE. She's in a brand new movie called Cosmic Sin with Frank Grillo and Bruce Willis. We'll ask her about that. Of course, some wrestling stuff as well. There's some nerd news to discuss. Oh, so much going on. So I don't want to waste any time. I actually want to start things out with a bang. Let's start things out with Ruby Rose talking about playing Grace on SAS Red Notice. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. March 16th, that is the day you're going to be able to see SAS Red Notice in theaters and on premium video on demand, and it is an amazing story that has a lot of action and a lot of fun, and one of the big reasons for that is is Ruby Rose, who does she play the villain in the movie? Does she not? Let's go ahead and ask her about it. Here's Ruby Rose talking about her character in SAS Red Notice. All right, here we go, Ruby. I love Grace. Love the character. She's so hardcore. How much fun was it to get to play the villain again? Or maybe, hey, you maybe you don't see her as the villain at all. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually don't see her necessarily as a villain. I think the people watching it might hear me say that and say, well, hold on a second. Some of the things that she does are absolutely atrocious. How could that not be a bad guy? And I understand that she does some absolutely deplorable things, but she is doing her job and she works for a sort of military company that kind of is like a private contractor for whether it be politicians or conglomerates or whatever businesses that hire this group of people to make their jobs easier. And in this particular case, we're hired to, pay off these communities and villages to leave so that we can have oil and gas pipelines run through their villages. And part of the process of that, of course, is if they don't want to leave <laughs> uh, and what we have to do in order to get them to leave. So there, there's definitely aspects where it seems cut and dry with cat, mouse, good, bad. But as you go through the film and understand the, the levels of like psychopathy and, and what they're doing as a job and who hires who and what it really is about, is I think it's a little more complicated than that. The first still I saw from the film, it was... Tom and Grace, face-to-face, bloodied, battered. It was such, it hooked me right away. So how much fun was it to work with Sam on those scenes, especially those action scenes? It's so much fun. Sam and I had so much fun. I, I love him so much. And and it's funny, that first photo of us, where we're, we're almost like face, you know, we're almost like lip to lip. We, we would, we'd always end up rolling down the hill and ending up in the spot. And we'd rehearse that. And then we did a lot of stunt training for it. And every time we got there, we were like, do we kiss? Do we just kiss now? <laughs> it was so intimate. Like we had such chemistry, like on screen and off screen. But when we were doing these fighting and it's so close quarters and you know, I'm on him and I'm jumping out of trees and we're upside down and he's flipping me. And, you know, we did all of this ourselves. He's an amazing, you know, great when it comes to stunts and action. I mean, we had stunt doubles also, but mostly it was him and I. 
And every time we landed close together, it was just, did we do it? We might have. We wanted to do it also just to like mess with the, uh, the director and everyone behind the cameras because they were miles away so that you couldn't see them. And I was like, we should just kiss just, just to freak them out. <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been great. But that's one of the cool things about Grace though, actually it's, it's not just a, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just a muscle thing. I think that her mind is just as dangerous though. Would you kind of agree with that? Cause she, she, not only does she plan, she's, she's got a lot of mental games as well. Yeah. And that comes with, you know, being on the psychopathy spectrum and, and being a psychopath is that what happens naturally, and we had Andy McNabb, who obviously is a producer on this and wrote the book and other books like uh, The Good Psychopath, which is a great read, is he would teach us about how it is to, to have that and to be like that and think like that. And a lot of it is when you come into you know fight, flight and freeze, as humans, human nature, we often, our heart rate speeds up, we might get a bit sweaty, our brain starts, starts to race, you know, we're trying to make decisions based on a hundred things that are just noise. Whereas as a psychopath, it's really their pupils dilate, their breathing slows down, their heart rate slows down, they become more in tune and aware of noise, light, movement, everything. And they can really plan out what their next move is if they haven't already planned 20 moves ahead because it's all basically a math thing. It's like, okay, there's a 20% chance of this happening, 10% chance of that, 80% chance that this is the, the, through, you know, the through way. And it's all done like that, very methodical and very calculated. Can't wait for you guys to see it March the 16th. That is the day for SAS Red Notice. Ruby, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Wait till you guys see that fight scene that we're talking about. It is incredible. And speaking of fight scenes, how about Tom's best friend in SAS Red Notice? So here's Tom Hopper, who plays Declan in the movie very, very close to Sam Hugan's character, Tom. So let's find out what that relationship's all about. Let's ask Tom Hopper about playing Declan on SAS Red Notice. Tom, it's great to talk to you today, man. We definitely don't want to spoil anything, but we know that Declan and Tom kind of have a brief history, more than a brief history, actually. How can you? How much can you tell us about their relationship? Well, they, they're best friends, ultimately. Declan and, and Tom have lived with each other. They came up through the regiment together. So the journey they go on, you know, they're, they're, what they're each doing in this movie, the, the reason it matters so much is because of their their history together, their friendship together. So yeah, it's, it's a huge part of their combined journey, you know? You've always got one side of the best friends that looks out for the other, I think. So which one, who do you think's looking out for who? Is it Declan looking out after Tom or is it vice versa? I think it's a bit of both, really. I think Declan is trying to achieve what he needs to achieve with causing the, uh, the least amount of damage possible to his friendship. And ultimately, it gets to a point where he has to outright betray his best mate. So. You know, I think he's he is trying to help. I think he just wants Tom out of there. That's his biggest aim is like, just get out. Like, I need you out right, so I can right. do what I got to do. Right. And he can't do that because his mate just wants to get his missus out. And so he's like, oh, my God, like, how could this how can this be happening right now? So it's literally the worst case scenario for Declan. Totally. So as you were diving into the scripts and, and actually going through more and more of towards, you know, this, towards the end of the movie, um, what was your favorite thing about Declan? I think the thing that he gives is, I don't think there is, he's not black and white Declan. That's why he's so multi-layered because from one side of the coin, you look at him and you go, all oh, right, okay, yeah, he's a professional soldier. He's a really good friend, but then he's also really selfish. And I think as human beings, we, we, through our lives, we might occasionally do something that is for self-gain and self-worth. And we, we're approached with this moral compass of do we, if we had to betray someone to achieve that, would we do it? And that's the ultimate question with Declan, you know, to have the ultimate gain, would you, would you 
act on the ultimate betrayal. For me, that's what I delved into of like him ultimately being a professional soldier and a friend, but could he do something like that? Is he capable of, of that betrayal? And ultimately, yeah, he's just, he, he, he takes a selfish act, but doesn't mean he doesn't feel bad about it. Absolutely. Now, I love the tactical aspect of this film, actually, and that realistic portrayal. So how much of an asset was it to have somebody like Andy McNabb, given his service background? It was completely priceless, man. Like, we we had him there every single day to tell us exactly what we should be doing and when we should be doing it. And he was he was just an endless resource for us to to call upon for stories and for knowledge about the inside the inside workings of how this all goes down you know not just the the action side of things but the politics and what these guys would be dealing with on the outside and the hierarchy of like people that you have to approve and things like that where you know you make a decision in the in the field you know that has to then be looked upon by the government and by all these different people in cobra and stuff so it was really interesting to see how the inner workings of the special forces works no doubt about it. Really quickly, Tom, before I let you go, no spoilers, but given the way this thing ends, how much are you hoping for a sequel, man? I think a sequel would be really fun. Actually, I think a sequel would be where the, almost where the story really begins, especially between the relationship between Tom and Declan. And there's a, there's a, there's a, I think there's a potential like Hobbs and Shaw element to to that relationship, you know, where they, they have to battle it out, but then ultimately have to come together for a, a common cause and they're working towards the same thing. But Tom's still pissed at him. And I think they have to kind of work that out together. It could be really interesting as a like a, a double act sequel. I think it'd be awesome, man. And you guys will find out why I say that when you see SAS Red Notice on March the 16th. Tom, man, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, James. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're looking for great action, a lot of twists and big star power. I mean, Andy Serkis is in this movie as well. There's so many faces and names that you're going to recognize just kicking ass on the screen, whether you're watching it in theaters or video on de demand, make sure you're watching SAS, Red Notice from Redbox Entertainment and Vertical Entertainment. You will not be sorry that you check this one out. Thanks again to Ruby Rose and Tom Hopper for joining me this week to talk about SAS Red Notice. Up next, going to be talking about a little bit of sleuthing, Nancy Drew style. Adila Dawson going to talk about playing Amanda Bobsey up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know, I feel like it's been forever since we've talked about Nancy Drew on the show. That changes this week, and it's because of one of the Bobsy twins. Yes, the Bobsy twins, in case you're wondering where they are, part of the Nancy Drew series. And hey, here's one of them right here. It's Amanda Bobsy, Adila Dosani. Excuse me. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? So, Adila, were you actually a fan of Nancy Drew before this, either the series or, or any of the books or anything like that? Yeah, I was I was a huge fan. I feel like I'm like such a sleuth, -er, you know, I had read all the Nancy Drew, like the whole series and then the Hardy Boys and a few quite a few of the Bobsy twins because my mom is like a major Nancy Drew, like Drew Universe fan. Wow. Actually a, a pretty big Bobsy, the Bobsy twins fan. So it was wild. Yeah, even more wild because and when I looked this up, I couldn't believe it. I checked it like two or three times and I could still end up being wrong. But this is like the first time the Bobsy twins have actually crossed over with Nancy Drew. So what does it kind of feel like to know that you're part of something that hasn't happened in like a hundred plus years? Honestly, it's super wild. It's pretty awesome. I mean, we're, are we rewriting history, creating history? I don't know. I don't know. This is what I certainly creating. Friends. I would think maybe not rewriting, but creating, yeah, right. I would think. 
it's pretty sweet and i feel like when all of the like these sleuthing series come together it just gets like juicier you know mm. it needed to happen and i'm so glad it happened in 2021 <laughs> it's funny too because it's one of those things where i'm like and that's why i checked a couple times i'm like this hasn't happened before really because it seems like this is something that should have happened before and it just hasn't so i just think it's really cool that you guys are able yeah. to do it this way yeah no and it's dope too because it's just like this series like nancy drew's you know it's so different from the source material mm. so we get to like totally put our own spin on it which i think is quite rad you know because the bobsy twins were real good, good to do kids versus the bobsies on this show where we're kind of just stir jazz up <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I, that was kind of leading me into my next question because yeah this is a very different take on the characters they're not as squeaky clean so how did you want to approach playing amanda once you first really started to dive in you know it's funny i feel like so i had such a different when i had initially gotten the role and you know you start to prep and and all of that jazz i thought that like her she was gonna also be where kind of where gil's at where he kind of just he hasn't really gotten over his past he's sitting in all of that shit from the past that's mm -hmm. affecting him but amanda I feel like is the complete opposite where she's just like, she is curious and she has hope and she just wants to experience life. And so I feel like once I got that tidbit of information, it was pretty rad because it gave me permission, which I think is really cool when you have an arc in a series to have a lot of that curiosity, you know? And then I feel like that's what kind of lights these like dope little fires that your character can have in their journey versus it being like, static in that sense and living mm -hmm. in one thing so it was pretty pretty great in that sense prepping for her and what was also really rad was when i found out praneet who's playing gail was my brother we i feel like we already had we had this like innate connection because we're both from the same small town so wow how what are the odds of that i know i know when does that ever happen that doesn't That's happen crazy in this world i mean both in acting that's one thing but both in the same show playing fraternal yeah. twins that that no that doesn't happen isn't that wild that's I crazy know. and so i feel like we're already like in real life so codependent on each other so it kind of like we didn't have to do much work on screen because now i'm like you're my bro forever <laughs> yeah plus you gotta do it for the town too right you gotta represent yeah. you gotta rep the town yeah it, right two little south asian kids from calgary alberta I crazy mean, crazy that's awesome so <laughs> I mean, both of them seem to have their own particular set of skills too, though, which I think is really, really cool. So how much are we going to get to them show off these skills in future episodes? You get to see some skills. It's coming. So you you get to see it like a few episodes in. You kind of you kind of start to see Amanda where Amanda's head turns in this week's episode, which is kind of cool. What's funny though is I thought she would have a completely different set of skills. And then when I read the, the first episode where she helps the Drew crew out and solving a case, I was like, wait, what? This mm -hmm. is not what I was expecting for from her. So like, I, I don't want to say anything or spoil anything, but I don't think y'all will guess either. It was I was like, whoa, say what? That's awesome. We're talking to Adila Dosani, who of course plays Amanda Bobsey on Nancy Drew, which you can watch every Wednesday on The CW. Now, Adila, it seems like Gil and Nancy are pretty close. Okay. I, I don't think that's a spoiler. I don't think that's pretty out there. So how much will that kind of affect Amanda's relationship with her brother? Do you know what it does? Because they look at, and you'll start to see this too, relationships very differently. As like, you know, most people do, you have your own innate way of being in one, but it mm. definitely affects them in like throughout the, throughout 
this series and the second half of season two, you get to definitely see them explore their massive codependency issues. Just, and, and you get to also, we'll, we'll unravel where they come from, how they grew up, and it kind of then all makes sense, but it definitely does affect it. And then it kind of, you know, snowballs into Amanda, perhaps having a relationship with someone in the Drew crew, maybe. I don't know. Mm, see, I was just going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you about that. Let's see. Let's see how good your tap dancing skills are, because okay, it seems okay, like uh, something's Challenge brewing that. there between Ace and uh, and Amanda. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it may or may not come to fruition. I'm not saying I'm just saying. I'm just uh, exactly the, you and me both. We are on the same tap, tip, tap, tippy tap dancing. Should that? How did you do that? That was such a tongue twister. Tap dance. Yeah, okay. that, it, that, that that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough yeah. one. I've, I say it all the time. I guess that's I'm I'm just it's it's embedded into my brain. I don't know why I choose that particular turn of phrase, but that that's how I can do it. I've I've got a lot of practice, is what it is. I, like I can't it. dance that well, but I can say it. Listen, your alliteration is on point. I can't also. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love it. <laughs> So the show's kind of taken more of a supernatural turn this season, which I think is really cool. And how comfortable, I mean, you said that she's kind of the exploratory type. So, I mean, how's Amanda dealing with all this stuff? Because I mean, how could you really know how to expect something like this? Yeah, you don't actually. <laughs> and I feel like Amanda, and you'll kind of get to see like initially she's like, she, she gets a little bit wigged out. Cause I mean, let's be real. The stuff that the Drew crew kind of explores and the crimes they solve are legit and literally out of this world. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But she, her curiosity, I feel like gets the best of her and she, she starts to fit it. She starts to like it. And, and, and you'll start to see, she starts to gain a voice with that. And, and I feel like that's kind of where she starts coming out of her shell is through helping them kind of like, solve these crimes and yeah i can't watch this is this is what's happening is like my tap dancing skills are definitely wearing off i was like did i do i say too much right now i don't know no i don't think you did i, th I think you stopped dancing at exactly the right time <laughs> you're like the music's over i'm done i'm not yeah, going to exactly. do this anymore it's exactly. funny that you say it that way because i kind of feel like curiosity gets the best of her is like nancy drew's calling card though so do you do you see that about your character I'm like oh, so I fit right in cool totally and I feel like with Amanda and again you'll get to see this is she didn't really she's never really had a group of friends or core group of friends or felt like she's belonged in relationships that kind of like support where she wants to be and so when she does find that she is like pretty much on the same page as the rest of the Drew crew you get to totally see her open up and kind of flourish and and see how she would go about you know, helping solve these crimes. Do you think that's kind of a byproduct of that codependency though, that you were talking about earlier with that, not, not having that group of friends and it's especially with twins, because it's like, you know, we always have each other kind of yeah. thing, especially with twins. So do you, so you think that kind of leads into that fact? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you get to see, like, you'll get to see in, in a couple of weeks in episode nine, kind of where Amanda and Gil really differ in terms of how they want to start living their lives, you know? And I feel like that totally impacts it because she's just like, she's just like, no, nah, you gotta, you gotta move on from the past. Right. Whereas we get to, we get to kind of see, and we saw in episode one, Gil's really having a hard time doing that. And so those differences definitely steer her towards, towards the Drew crew and kind of what they're doing. 
Now, Adila, we're like you said, we're going to learn more, a lot more about Amanda and Gil in these upcoming episodes, which I think is great that we're going to get that much of their backstory. It's so cool. And I'm not saying anything here. I'm not trying to put ideas in anybody's heads, but the CW loves their spinoffs and they love their backdoor pilots. They've got a couple for other shows going on right now. Do you think we'll learn enough about them this season for that Twitter sphere to start saying, man, we need a crossover. We need a Bobsy crossover. I mean, I hope so. Or I should say yeah. spinoff. Let their spinoff. That's what I meant. Spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. I was, the Bob, yeah. I feel like the Bobsies stir shit up enough, pardon my language, that like, yeah, you kind of want to learn more about them. I want to learn more about them. I keep getting scripts and I'm like, give me more, Amanda. Like, I, you know, so, and, and Gil, because Gil's so fascinating himself as well. And there, there is, there is a lot of underlying jazz there where I would love to see one, but Hey, who knows? Being part of the true universe in itself is pretty awesome. So, you know, when I was, when I was preparing for the interview, I was looking back at some of the other stuff you've, that you've done and you seem to like fit in this genre really well. I mean, you've done chilling adventures of Sabrina. You did the in-between yeah. you did supernatural. Do you just kind of dig this, you know, otherworldly supernatural stuff? Do you sort of like seek this stuff out? Apparently. You know what's what's wild is like I am the biggest chicken. Okay, I well one, I believe in ghosts. So two, I am naturally terrified of them. Like I will have to go to the washroom in the middle of the night and I won't get up and go because I feel like the boogeyman might like grab my ankles from underneath my bed and then I'll slip and become unconscious. Like it's it's a problem. Wow. Yeah, that 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 would be kind of a problem. It's, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it finds me because I am terrified. Like there are some episodes of Nancy Drew that I have to watch during the day because they're done so well. The super oh, totally. Natural. Yeah. And the FX team like crush it where I'm like, nah, no, not today. Listen, I am not skittish like that. But after last week's episode with all the bugs and everything, now every time I see a bug, it's like, yeah. uh, go away. Right? <laughs> go away. I'm, I'm okay. rushing for some sort of spray or something because we're not doing this. Yeah. I listen, I am with you because I'm like, no, no, not happening. Adila says it's not happening. Yeah, I and you're implying to me that this is going to get worse. So that's just, you know, that's oh, shoot. Did I do that's that? Great. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It gets wild. And I'm just like, OK, cool. At least I understand how you make it and do it. Still doesn't help my situation, though. I, I can't. Well, then you definitely don't want to hear some of the stories I could tell. No, no. Stuff that, no, yeah, you don't, you don't want, you yeah. don't want to know. Okay. Okay. Before, yeah, yeah. Adela, before I let you go, I mean, you haven't had a, like, you haven't had a huge, like superhero role yet so far, but you've done a couple of things in the yeah. superhero realm. So is there any kind of particular character that you'd love to play? Or is there a show that you're like, oh, I've got to get on that show at least once? Oh man, what a loaded question. Okay. Let's I mean, see. Hey, you want to talk about more than one. I mean, we've got time. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I am such a DC girl. And so I would love I've like always wanted I don't know why I love her. But I always have wanted to play Detective Renee Montoya. I I don't know why Mm -hmm. like fully and then like explore her as the question. I think that would be so wild. I feel like it just even better. Yeah. Right. And like, I don't know. I don't know. Someone needs to explore that character more and just give her some juice. But I, I don't know. That'd be wild. It's funny. I feel like we've been so close to the question a couple times in the Arrowverse and it's just never happened. So, I mean, if clearly you're what you're saying is you're available. I'm available. 
guys, if you're listening, because I know you are right here. Yeah, for anybody that's listening and not watching, she points to herself with the, with the thumbs like this gal right here would like yeah. to play the question. Oh, <laughs> uh, And I don't even care what show it's on, quite frankly, because, no. yeah, that's something that definitely needs to happen. And you definitely need to be watching Nancy Drew every Wednesday night at nine o'clock Eastern time on the CW. And of course, on the CW app, you can watch it free next day as well to find out what Amanda Bobsey is up to. It's Adila Dosani. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Yay, thank you. <laughs> and you want to talk about a perfect fit. I think the Bobsey twins fit in perfectly on this new Nancy Drew series. And I like the new take. I like that they're not squeaky clean and they're going to take them in a totally different direction. This is one of those instances where I really think, think that works. And I think this is really going to shake up the Nancy Drew series in its second season and for the better, for sure. Again, thanks to Adila Dasani for joining me this week. Up next, yet another guest to talk about her brand new movie, Cosmic Sin. It's CJ Perry. Lana from the WWE is up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you guys are looking for an epic sci-fi slugfest, might I suggest Cosmic Sin from Sabin Films, which is going to be in theaters and on demand on March the 12th. And this is a name you'll probably recognize, not just from her work in films, but as Lana in the WWE as well. It's CJ Perry. CJ, what is up? Hi, how are you? Doing very Thank you for good. having me. Hey, we love having you on. We've been wanting to have you on for a long time, actually. So... You're actually starting to appear in more and more films lately, actually. So how do you feel like the WWE actually prepared you for your film career? Oh, my gosh. I'm actually extremely grateful because, you know, in WWE, we just get one take. It's live television for that one take. And I don't know if people are aware, but a lot of our everything is scripted. So all the promo, every time you see us talk, if it's a backstage or if it's an in-ring promo or a vignette, that is all verbiage that has been either written or approved by Vince McMahon and the showrunner. So with the difference between like any type of movie or scripted television is that you get more than one take. Also, it's not live. So that has prepared me, has prepared me in so many different ways. I mean, definitely, I think it builds a lot of confidence. Like you have to, like, if you're not confident, then you have to find that confidence because you have to be able to make bold choices and it's on live television. And so I think WWE has really built confidence in that sense. And even I was in acting class yesterday, actually. And we, the, our teacher talked about like making bolder choices and just, just basically doing it, fucking it, having that confidence just to say like, screw it. And I was hesitant in that in class even yesterday I was like I was doubting my choices and the biggest lesson that I learned again yesterday was like at the end of the day when you perform when the lights are on if it's in television if it's in movies traditional or the WWE whatever it is or a speech if you have doubts before once the lights are on you have to just own it because people are drawn to confidence like that I I really think that's one of the most attributes that people are drawn to. It's like charisma, right? As we don't know why sometimes we're drawn to a human. And if we really break it down, a lot of times it's confidence when you're like, oh, I'm really attracted or drawn to that person. But, you know, maybe they're not traditionally beautiful or hot or like not your type or whatever. And you can't pinpoint on it. I've been noticing a lot of it is confidence. Like that person just believes in themselves, believes they're right, believes in themselves. And I just think that, you know, that is, 
such an important trait that I've been learning from WWE that I just, I've been trying to implicate more when I act in television and movies. No doubt about it. I totally agree with you on that. And speaking of Cosmic Sin, there's a major war coming if you've seen the trailer. It's, it's going to be insane. So how much can you actually tell us about your character and how she's involved? I am. I love my character. Soul is so awesome. She originally was written for a man. So it's really, really cool to be able to be given um, this opportunity because she was a super badass. She's the best sniper. She's very loyal and she will do anything for her, her troops. She's a soldier. She's a warrior. She's a sniper. I just feel extremely lucky and grateful to have been given this chance to you know, take this role that originally wasn't given to women and play my version of that. So she's a badass. She's a little ruthless. Some people might think that she maybe doesn't have a lot of sympathy or empathy, but she does. She's just a warrior and she's loyal. And she understands that that's a part of the job is that sometimes we just have to keep on going and fighting. So it's cool to play her. Love it. Love it. Now, when I see Bruce Willis and Frank Grillo in a movie together, CJ, I'm automatically interested regardless. So what was it like <laughs> working with these two kind of action movie icons. Oh, it was incredible. Frank is a character of all characters. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, Bruce is, he's a legend. He's an icon, like truly. And his, he would do it completely perfect in one take. It was amazing. Like I'd never seen anything like it. And he, he just embodies the character. He, the whole time I'm standing there thinking, wow. I watched The Sixth Sense so many times, you know, and like this element can't even. And so, yeah, I kind of wanted to say I dead people, but I controlled myself. <laughs> good for you. I'm not sure I would have been able to do the same thing. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, good, <laughs> I'm being honest. So anytime, well, obviously this movie's kind of in the far future. It's like the, the 26th century or something like that. So you always think about what the world would look like, right? What kind of technology there would be. So how do you feel like Cosmic Sin portrays that aspect? awesome to be in a sci-fi movie and just to see how how it is just you know there is so many different elements like the gear and you know the guns and the spaceship it was really cool you know it's interesting to see that even in futuristic times humanity is fighting to survive you know fighting for peace and it doesn't matter if it was thousands of years ago or thousands of years in the future it's like it seems like we still can't get it together we're still fighting over who, what alien race in this case. And, you know, that just brings up a bigger question, I feel, about, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. And but you know, we keep fighting and the good guys win, which is us, obviously. <laughs> That's always good to hear. We're talking to C.J. Perry, who is in Cosmic Sin from Saban Films, which is going to be out on March the 12th. Now, CJ, obviously you're trained to take bumps and you have certainly have some combat skills. So did you actually get to do any of your own stunts for this movie? And did you actually learn anything new while you were on set stunt-wise? Yes, I actually, it was all handling this gun. I had never, first of all, I had this incredibly insane, huge bazooka. It was bigger than me, like literally taller than me. And so it's nice that I do a lot of weightlifting. So that was, that's good. I'm really happy because it really paid off when I had to pick up this 150 pound gun. <laughs> so that was insane. That was my first time ever really use I don't, yeah, I don't think I've actually ever used. Well, no, in one I, I, in interrogation, I used the small gun. So this is any, any form of big gun. This was my first time ever using it. So I learned a lot. There's a lot to it. I, I wish we were able to spend more time on it, to be honest, because 
the stunt coordinator was amazing. He, I learned so much from him just in a couple of days and we had to shoot a lot of this stuff so quickly. So we were learning this while we were doing it. We didn't like have a separate day to go and do like practice this stuff. Like we had to learn it pretty much right before we shot it. So that's where I was really grateful for WWE and how they give us one take. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And I mean, if, if you're trying to tell me, CJ, that you're going to be like a giant bazooka sniper, that's not just a sniper. That's like a whole other level of, of crazy that I just can't wait to see. Oh, yeah. My, yeah, it is, it's not just a sniper. It is a bazooka insane sniper. It's crazy. So, yeah, you're going to see me hold this, you know, really huge gun. And I, I'm a badass. And I can take out the boys, all of them, by the way. That's how good she is. Gosh, that's ridiculous and crazy on so many levels. I love that. I love it. Now, last year, I actually got to talk to Motki Dapp about another version of you, and I thought Gwyneth was just such an incredible character in that movie. I was so drawn to her. So what was that experience like? And are you still as mad as I am about what happened with Suzette and Gwyneth? Of course I am, by the way. <laughs> I really, really wanted to suplex Suzette for what she was doing. No but doubt. Unfortunately, yes. She kicked me into another universe. Um, another version of you was in, just so incredible. People are listening and haven't watched it. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. For me personally, I wanted to do the role so badly because it was Gwyneth was such a different character and role that I have ever played, that I've ever been casted in. And Maki really, I'm really thankful for Maki that he took that chance with me to play something that on paper was not me. You know, off of like, you know, just taking that um, chance. And I'm, I learned so much from that role. And now watching it, I'm even more grateful because it truly is so different. Like if you would watch this and then watch Soul on Cosmic Sin, I mean, they're complete different opposite characters. One girl is like, you know, free for all, like free and loves life, mm-hmm. Gwyneth. And um, she's sweet. And, you know, Soul is, a badass that got to keep it moving. Even if she feels her emotions, she's not going to show it because, you know, she's a warrior that needs to fight to save lives. And so I'm very thankful that I was able to be that role Gwyneth and that Monty really pushed me. Like he kept on being like, I really want you to be this sweet girl. And I'm like, man, I've never seen a role that was, that was the characteristic trait of my character, like in a breakdown that a girl was sweet. That was never one of them. And so it was cool. It was it was challenging because I guess that's not my first foot in the door. I don't think people would use that word that, as an adjective to describe me as sweet. So that was cool that I am starting to achieve that. So CJ, before I let you go, I keep waiting for you to play like this really cool like Russian spy and like an epic thriller or Bond style movie. Is there a certain movie franchise or type of role that you're still really wanting to play? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I think there's a couple of different roles. Is that okay if I express a couple of different ones to you? No doubt. I mean, go one. right ahead. Yeah. Okay. Cause I literally think about these things. So one, I know that, so first of all, for a spy, 100% my dream. Like I would love to be like a Russian spy, like killing Eve, killing Eve, killing Eve and the Russian killer. Yes. I just think that I love so many roles that I'm really drawn to are male roles. You know, a lot of if they're either su- like either super villains or super good guys. Like, I mean, I love villain roles as well, but I would really, you know, I was really encouraged by Cosmic Sin that they took this role and made it for a female. And for so long, I watched 
television and movies and all the roles that I want to play are the guy roles. And I'm like, where do I fit in? And I'm just hoping that one time, like maybe a producer or a director will take a chance on taking a role that we maybe always traditionally maybe thought would be for a guy and we can give it to a girl. So that's like just in general. But Ari Gold from the Entourage is probably like something like that. Interesting. talks a lot in this stuff like that type of I mean I'm obsessed with that character literally obsessed and I'm always like oh, I at least want to play that like that version of that type of character on WWE programming uh, but, but something like that I would love and yes I would love to be a spy and I would I would like to be a really cool maybe epic villain but like a likable villain kind of like a Harley Quinn type of thing I love it. And people don't realize, too, like, you're, the Russian accent thing is no joke because, I mean, like, you're from Latvia and you speak fluent Russian. That's not just a character thing for you. Yeah, that's that's for real. <laughs> you can see her break that mold of a male character being played by a female on Cosmic Sin from Sabin Films. going to be in theaters and on demand on March the 12th. Can't wait for you guys to see everything that she's got going on. It's CJ Perry. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me. And you can watch Cosmic Sin right now. As a matter of fact, make sure you let us know what you think of the movie and, of course, how CJ did in the movie at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Again, thanks, CJ Perry, for joining me this week to talk about Cosmic Sin and a whole bunch of other stuff in her career as well. Up next, how about we dive into the comics? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is Jody LaHoop, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether it's a nonstop thrill ride or a spooky road, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And we're going to start with Marvel Comics and a book that I actually teased a few months ago. Nonstop Spider-Man number one from Marvel and Joe Kelly writing this one. Chris Bacahalo doing the pencils here. Tim Townsend on the inks. Marcio Menzi on the colors. VCs Travis Lanham on the letters. This book really does live up to its name because it's high energy and it's paced very, very quickly. And the gist of it, basically, the story is maybe a a couple minor minor spoilers here. Peter's kind of stumbled into an investigation of strange overdoses from high achieving students at his school. And one of his his friends, Cal, is kind of directly affected by this and how I I won't spoil how that is, but it's pretty serious situation. Now, while he's investigating this, he actually runs into some sort of high-tech street gang, and they have some really high-end gadgets and very interesting designs. And, you know, of course, you know, Peter's going to have something to say about that. And his quick wit very much on display in this book for sure. So this book really, though, is like one big chase scene, honestly. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, that that's a matter of personal preference, I think. Now... It, it is fun, but it does distract you from what the story is. And, and I know maybe that's me being a little bit, a bit of a buzzkill. It's just my opinion that, you know, it's it's hard to focus on this book, quite frankly, as far as what the story is. I mean, I get it, but there, there's one moment where the book it slows down, it gets really somber, but then it's right back on the ride after that. It's like the roller coaster that stops at the top of the hill before it drops you sort of thing. And again... Maybe that's something you think is great and you think that that's something that, you know, really keeps your adrenaline moving. And this book kind of does that. The art feels a little bit frantic as well. But I mean, the design of the Spidey suit is pretty cool. So I really do like that. And I mean, look, it's called Nonstop Spider-Man for a reason. It's called Nonstop for a reason. 
and it definitely does not do that. The story is interesting. I'm just saying it was kind of hard to focus on exactly what that was, but it was still a cool book. I, I just I was a little bit distracted, but we'll see how much it slows down in issue two. But I certainly think it's warrant. I mean, go ahead, pick it up, especially if you love a lot of action and a lot of crazy stuff going on. This book's definitely for you. It's definitely worth reading too if you're a Spidey fan. Moving right along now to Proctor Valley Road, number one from Boom Studios. This one gets a little spooky, and the story is written by Grant Morrison and Alex Child. We also have Naomi Franquiz on the illustrations, Tamara Bonvillain on the colors, and Jim Campbell doing the letters. This one takes us back to the 1970s in California. We follow August and Riley, who are a couple of cousins who will do basically whatever it takes to get money to go see Janis Joplin. That, that's what they want. Again, maybe minor spoilers from this review. Their friends Jenny and Cora, though, aren't having much luck either getting cash. So August is very much the, I don't want to say like the leader of the group, but she's definitely the one that thinks she's got all the ideas. There's no doubt about that. So basically their latest idea, or I should say August's idea to get some cash, is to give spook tours on Proctor Valley Road where something terrible allegedly happened or not. I mean, that you know how small town, well, not necessarily small town, but you know how legends can be in any town or city, right? We do find out something in the very beginning of this book, though, that might tie into that. Won't spoil what that is. Now, when they take a few young men out there for a tour, they kind of find out if the stories are fact or fiction. So that much I can tell you for sure is that we it doesn't take very long to find out if these legends are true. Now, the story definitely has more of a young adult vibe. But it does have some fun character moments, too. So don't let that shy you away from checking out this book. It doesn't ha- lean too heavy into the nostalgia either. So when it says right at the beginning that it's set in 1970s California, I'm like, OK, here we go. There, there's definitely a couple things from the era that they do point out. And actually one very specific thing that as we're going into issue two might be a little bit of a larger part of the story and you'll understand just think about what was going on in the 1970s and pick out a couple things and, and that's and one of them one of the bigger events is something that's a focus of this book but it doesn't lean too heavy into it either now the art's good and some great color work i will say that tamra bonvillain does a fantastic job setting the tone for each of the different i'll call them scenes for this particular thing because we have we have a, a few different sections of the story so i'll just go ahead and call them scenes this book has a great chance to be very good, actually, if the pacing works out right moving forward. There's a good foundation here for a story and how they're going to unravel this potential mystery. But if it's not paced right or if they focus on the wrong thing, this thing could also go off the rails a little bit. Though, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Proctor Valley Road is going to be an interesting, spooky story and hopefully we get even more reveals in the second issue that moves the story forward because there's more than one legend that's involved here in Proctor Valley Road, apparently. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. There's some nerd news that we need to discuss. We'll do that. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to me on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to start things out a little retro. It's time for nerd news. And I got to tell you, we don't talk about video games a ton on the podcast anymore. And I've mentioned the reasons why in the past. But here's something that I can't wait to talk about. 
I said this in the article on downandnerdypodcast.com. I said, if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, there's two things that you hold near and dear to your heart. And that is the original animated series and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. There's no debate, no argument there. So a brand new game is coming out. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge that pretty much combines those two passions. If you see the trailer for this game, first of all, it's a side-scroller got those 8-bit graphics that you love it's it looks aesthetically so much like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game that we grew up with and it's just so beautiful and and but the cut cutaways the cutscenes look like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series so it's like the best of both worlds and the character designs that you see on the logo are exactly the same as well. I mean, you're going to be able to play four players simultaneously, so you've got all the turtles there. You've got what they call enhanced super fresh mechanics, but also with the old school gameplay. And it's just a brawler. It, it's exactly what you're going to get. It is a brawler, just like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game was. There's everything you love as a Turtles fan. Looks like it's going to be in this game, you'll have Bebop and Rocksteady. You're going to be a part of this thing. I won't give, won't give you the whole synopsis. But you're going to have Bebop and Rocksteady. You're going to have Krang that's part of this as well. It's called Shredder's Revenge, so hello. Yeah, you're going to, that's going to be a part of it. You'll be able to go through Manhattan, Coney Island, rooftops, sewers, a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah, you're going to go against the Foot Clan. You're going to go against the Triceraton Warriors and the, and the Rock Troops and stuff like that. You're going to go to Dimension X, apparently, in this game. So it's got, how many times do I need to say it? It's got everything you could possibly want in a Turtles game. And you, you can get this thing. You can pre, actually put it on your wish list on Steam right now. It's actually going to be from, and I hope I'm saying this right, Dotemu Games is going to be one of the one of the studios that's going to, to put this upon, and Tribute Games as well that worked on the Scott Pilgrim game. If you don't know anything about Dotemu, they worked on Streets of Rage 4. So that's what you might know them from. But, I mean, you're going to have combos and stuff like that for for that that you can do in the action sequences and things like that. Your typical ninja abilities, you know, the weapons for the turtles as well. Again, everything you could want in a turtles game. And this one has has it. So it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. I cannot wait to get my hands on this one. I can't remember the last time I looked forward to a game this much. But I'm a sucker for the old school graphics and old school design too. So there's that that has something to do with it. Something fresh from The Boys is going to be coming to Amazon. Of course, you remember back in September, they announced a Boys spinoff series was going to be coming to Amazon. TV Line actually reports that we've got a little bit of casting news for the show, and that is that Jazz Sinclair from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Lizzie Broadway from The Rookie have joined the cast of the spinoff. You know that Craig Rosenberg, who is one of the EPs on The Boys, is going to be the showrunner and executive producer for this series as well. And it's basically an R-rated show that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test, competing for the best contracts in the best cities. So it's kind of being described as like, kind of like the Hunger Games at the same time as well. So that that's a very interesting angle to take, but you think of that synopsis and it works perfectly in in the world of the boys because you kind of get a little bit of that in the boys anyway, right? So it seems like this will fit right in, but it's going to focus on, 
younger heroes. And I'm not even sure that we'll see anyone from the boys, or at least certainly not the seven in this series. But but here's the thing. Do you need to? Do you want to? I'm not sure that I do. I think we want to, if we really want to expand this world, it should go the other way around, right? You should have someone from this series that has a chance to, at some point, appear on the boys, right? It shouldn't be the other way around. Or, I mean, hey, you want to give some us some new stories, like, entirely? What's wrong with that? Even if it doesn't really cross over at all, or, or at least not right away, you know, what's the harm in that? I don't think there is any, quite frankly. So I think having a little bit of new stories here is a good thing. And we'll see how the cast rounds out for me. I mean, we've got a couple of casting announcements now. And, of course, you know, shooting's not going to begin for a little bit anyway. So you still got some time to flesh this thing out. I think it's going to be really neat. I think it'll have a little bit of a younger spin on it, maybe a little bit more raunchy because we're talking about a younger set of soups and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's been cr- pretty crazy on the boys. I can only imagine what this yet-to-be-titled spinoff, how crazy that's going to be. Here's a spinoff, or at least a, a reboot, I, we should say, that's going to be coming to the CW we know on, on April the 7th, and that is Kung Fu. And I've had my eye on this one, actually, because I think this one has a chance to be really, really neat. We finally got a trailer for this thing, and what you're seeing is we're going to get a nice balance with uh, with Nikki, who is, placed, of course, played by Olivia Liang, and, and how she balances you know, her newfound martial arts abilities with a family that basically does not want her to do to to do this, or at least it doesn't seem that way from the trailer anyway. So she's going to give up whatever life her parents want for her and become a, a hero for her city, for lack of a better way to put it, and basically to, to walk her own path. And as you can see from the trailer, that's not going to be the easiest and the most popular thing. And you also see that you're going to get... The balance, uh, it looks like we're going to get some flashbacks here of her training and, and then also what's happening in the present day. But you know what What I did see, and I was really happy to see this, was the crip, crispness and the, and just how well it looks like the choreography is being done in these martial arts scenes. Because that's something that's an absolute must for a kung fu series, right? So I think that when you see... What she's doing, I mean, and, and you drop out of college, you better be good, right? So you, we're going to see her in that monastery in China. We're going to see her protecting her streets against these street gangs and things like that. We, we already see it seems like there's maybe a little bit of a love interest that's kind of getting into the mix as well. So I, I had high hopes for this, and so far so good from this first trailer. Obviously, hard to tell from one trailer, right? But at the same time... I get good vibes from what I've seen in this first trailer. So April 7th, I guess we'll find out together how that's going to work out for this Kung Fu series on the CW. Finally, it's been a little bit of a slow nerd news week again. So I wanted to talk about something that, that was talked about by Joe Manganiello when he was talking to The Hollywood Reporter, talking about that Deathstroke movie that we were supposed to get. Remember that whole thing back in 2018? We we're going to get a Deathstroke movie this one. DC was announcing movies for almost everybody. Not that they aren't still, but especially then. So we were going to get a we were going to get a Deathstroke movie that was going to have Joe Manganiello. That was that actually wrote the treatment, and he convinced Gareth Edwards too, by the way, to come over and work on this thing. But Gareth Edwards didn't really get want to get involved in a studio project, but he he agreed to come in and do this. And of course, now it's not happening. It was going to be 
an origin story similar to kind of what they did with Joker. So it was gonna it was gonna tell more of Slade Wilson's backstory and stuff like that. But of course, he would you know become Deathstroke in this movie at some point. The budget was gonna be around forty million, according to Joe Manganiello. But and I'm gonna paraphrase here because I don't want to I don't want to say exactly what he said. But basically, he said, "Hey, it wasn't a priority to make the movie, and some executive changes kind of forced the movie to 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 not happen." And so you hear that right. And your immediate reaction has to be, well, isn't that when Walter Hamada came on board? It was right around that time. So do, do you blame Walter Hamada for this Deathstroke movie not happening? I mean, if you're already not happy with Walter Hamada anyway, this is just, you know, pouring salt on the wound and it just gives you another reason not to like him. And I understand that. But I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. And this is not me agreeing with this either, by the way. I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with the decision to not make this movie. But at the same time, as much as Joe Manganiello looks the part, and I love Joe Manganiello too, by the way, and it wouldn't necessarily be because of him. It's not like we have any guarantees that this movie would have been good or as good as we thought it might be or would want it to be, right? And that's not always... That's not always because of the actor that's playing the lead role, right? There's been plenty of times, and I'm sure you could think of a number of examples where the lead actor was legit and when very good, or actress, but but the movie wasn't good, and it wasn't their fault. They weren't the reason that the movie was bad. Or sometimes it's not even the director's fault, right? But, so there's no guarantees that this movie would have been good anyway. This could have been one of those where... You know, you see it, you think one thing, and obviously you get something completely different. We've also seen Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke for a cup of coffee, basically. I mean, it was the the quick cameo. I mean, I know we're going to see him more, a little bit more anyway, in the Snyder Cut. But, I mean, he was there was talk about him being in the second Suicide Squad movie. Obviously, that's not happening, and the, the plans change for that as well, especially with James Gunn coming on board, too. So... Again, there's just a lot of things that have changed since this was first announced. And and I think it was 2016, actually, when this thing whole thing was going to be planned. And then, of course, eventually scrapped in 2018. So, again, I understand being upset about this, but there's there was really no guarantee it was going to be good anyway. I mean, think about how much for the for the Joker movie there. Obviously, there was a lot of there were a lot of fans that were skeptical as to whether or not it was going to be any good. And there's plenty of fans that didn't think it was good anyway. So, you know, you're going to have your differing opinions. If you just love Joe Manganiello or you just love Deathstroke, you might have loved this. But how can you possibly know how good or not good this movie would have been? And I'm not saying that Walter Hamada made the right decision. I actually think that you should have made a Deathstroke movie, especially on a $40 million budget. I think you'd make that back pretty easy, right? Obviously, that would be more difficult to do now with the pandemic and everything. And we don't know what the future of movie theaters are going to be, yada, yada, yada. But I would think that at the time that the movie was canceled, you think you got to be able to make back for a $40 million budget on a Deathstroke movie when this is a popular character. It's not like like you're trying to make a movie for a character that nobody's ever really heard of. Plus, I mean, the suit looks cool, right? So even though it would have been an origin type story, even if it was his early years as Deathstroke, how, how, I mean, look at Knights and Dragons and how that worked out. That animated movie, that was pretty darn good. And that wasn't necessarily an origin story per se. 
it was more so for his kids than anything else. But at the same time, that movie was popular. Animation, less risk. I get that. But again, this is something that I, I hope that they revisit at some point. Maybe the Snyder Cut coming out is something that's going to, to bring that back to the surface. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my many guests this week. We've got Ruby Rose and Tom Hopper from SES Red Notice. You've got Adila, Adila Dasani from Nancy Drew. You've got CJ Perry from Cosmic Sin. Thank you so much to all of them for joining me this week. If you want even more interviews and a whole bunch of stuff that we've got going on, go to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. Also, find us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Plenty of interviews again next week. Trust me on that. But for now, remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. <laughs>